Four months ago, I talked from this pulpit here today about the Holy Spirit asking all of us to start praying for a revival, for the Holy Spirit to fall upon us and also on our town. Because I believe only with the Holy Spirit will we be able to be transformed into instruments of his grace capable uh, for having that kind of influence upon others and supporting them as they make this change. One of the things that's going to happen is if God's spirit falls upon this town, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to need a lot of help. And where do you think they're going to need that help from and that support from? A church family. And we need God's Holy Spirit for no other reason, at least for that as well. Ten, to, ten days ago, I met for the first time with the committee in this church charged with overseeing and planning our evangelism series. Uh, it starts in just three and a half months, not much time. It was not a promising report that came out of that meeting because we were just reminded of how ill-prepared we are to do this. Um, that report was kind of depressing. I went to the, um, the church board afterwards and I thought to myself, we're just funding a $6,500 project and we feel so that it's inadequate. I'm mean, inadequate to do this. I mean, how can we possibly do what we need to do to get ready for the evangelistic campaign? Now, let me explain the kind of things we need to do. We need to be out visiting our friends, our people, our strangers, our neighbors, etc., going up and down our lanes where we live, people we know, people that we meet, whatever. They don't have evangelistic meetings in Fort Bragg very often, I would imagine. And so, you know, people need to have a friend. We often, many of us, don't even go out and make friends. We just go, you know, to the, to the market and we get what we need and then we go home and we don't make a friend when we do a trip like that. And, and I was reminded of the fact that how are we going to get a church that is by and large seniors that have a very hard time just getting here on Sabbath morning to do any of this kind of thing. And the more I listened to that, the more I realized, sadly, that that wasn't just a depressing message, that was a reality message. It is a reality message. It's very challenging for us to go door to door. It's very challenging for us to go out and talk to people that we don't know. It's very challenging for those of us who are very ill and maybe can't even get out to do these kind of things. And yet we're holding these meetings, $6,500, bringing an evangelistic here, evangelist here, and we're going to go out. We've made some plans and so forth. So it was very difficult. And, and I, I, I think that, you know, it's been, oh, 15 years is what I think I heard from you, Chris, isn't it? 15 years ago when? Elder Toppenberg's meetings you're referring to just a little while ago? Or was there others since then? I don't, I don't They're shaking their heads, no. Now, you may be right. But we ha the point is that we do not do this very often. And so a lot of people just simply do not know anything about the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Why should they trust us? Why should they trust us? And you know, when you come to a series of meetings and talking about Jesus Christ, you basically need to have some trust. Because Jesus Christ is going to overhaul people's lives. And how do you do that outside of a context of trust? How do you allow that to happen? You have to feel good and comfortable. So it was difficult. And I was depressed when I went to the board and talked to the board about this. But I want you to open up your Bibles to uh, uh, Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. Um, very powerful 
passage came to my mind, and you know this verse, um, and it's the last part of the verse that is the thing that stands out in our mind. Do you have it? Zechariah 4, 6. I'm going to give you a minute because I want you to look at it. If you, if you don't have time to look it up and, um, and at this time write it down, Zechariah 4, 6, so you can look at it. I want you to have some of these verses and I want them just like the verse that uh, uh, the dean just read to us in Corinthians. We need to have these verses before us because they, they will remind us of something very important. Here in Zechariah, the last part of the verse, you want to read it with me? Not by might nor by power, but by what? It's never been a time in the history of this world where this hasn't been the fact. It's always the case. It's not by our might, not by our power, but it's by God's spirit that things happen. Even if you're a giant like Adam, you know, and it's not by his might or his power. Even if you're an Einstein, not by your might nor your power, it's by the Holy Spirit that things change in this world. And I want us to be very much aware of that as we move forward into this campaign. It's a spirit that ensures success. It's God that brings about the harvest. God does, he delights to do things, particularly he delights to do things that we can't do. He wants to provide for us. I, I want to say that one more time. We are obsessed with taking care of ourselves. Something that God himself wants to do for us. And as long as we are insistent on taking care of ourselves, we block the Holy Spirit from working. And we never get to the place where power can really take place in our lives. We are invalids. And God simply made a perfect world and all he asked for Adam and Eve was just to train the vines. Everything else he would take care of. That wasn't enough. They wanted to have power for themselves and look at the mess they created. Uh, oh, four months ago when I was speaking about the Holy Spirit, I spoke of the horrible self-centered failure that happened in our church's history at a town called Minneapolis uh, in 1888. I think for the first time in our church's history, we came face to face with the ugliness of who we were in Minneapolis. We were a church that thought of ourselves being so great, taking God's message, the remnant church to the entire world, and in Minneapolis we saw ourselves in a different light. There was an ugliness there. There was a self-centeredness there that was horrible. And it was so, so oppressing to uh, Ellen White, who experienced God firsthand in her life, that she said it was the worst experience in her life. It was so horrible in 1888. In the decade that followed 1888, a group of individuals began to uh, go around the country trying to correct what happened in Minneapolis at the General Conference in 1888 holding small meetings here and there. Um, Ellen White says, we are promised that the preaching righteousness by faith, which is the third angel's message, produces a revival of primitive godliness similar to Pentecost and exceeding that of the midnight cry. 
Think it not strange that in the last days God's spirit is going to be more powerfully expressed and evidenced than any time in, in the history of this world. You would almost have to expect that, and it's promised. Greater than what launched this church at Pentecost. Greater than any of the revivals that swept across this country. And the one in 1844, by the way, was no small revival as well. It was pa Finney, uh, Spurgeon, these great evangelists, uh, Dwight L. Moody. They changed the face of the nation. They changed the thinking of the nation. What is ahead of us? by the power of the Holy Spirit, is more power than any of those. It is amazing when you think about it. By December, just a matter of a few months after the disastrous 1888 General Conference session, Ellen White uh, said, a work of deep heart searching has been gradually going forward. You see, they had heard about what happened in 1888 in Minneapolis, and the church was puzzled. And as these individuals went out and the message about Righteousness by faith, it's God that changes our lives. We really are bad. And that God is the only thing that can make us good, not us. The church in its promoting of its teachings got so close to righteousness by works. Something that we do, that we manufacture. That it was just about polluted and destroyed the stream of spirituality in the church. And it's righteousness by faith. That message was changing people's lives as she went around and visited from place to place, explaining what was going on and directing their hearts heavenward. Many have sought the Lord with a confession of sins and contrition of soul. What I want to say to us today is a thing that turned around the effect of 1888, the discouragement that followed that, was confession of sin and contrition of soul. That opened the door to joy. It's when we empty our hearts, when we are made very, very aware of our sinfulness, and instead of trying to project something, a lie, or instead of trying to deny that, to embrace it, we become weakness. Strength comes out of weakness. And what I am beginning to believe is that for the Fort Bragg Church, here in 2011, weak as we are, filled with people that can barely make it out on Sabbath morning to meetings, that we have the potential, if we really recognize it, relying upon our weakness, counting on God to offset that with his strength. Do you hear what I just said? We are boldly saying to the Lord, this, you could do what we can't. We humbly, completely admit it, and we're going to rely on you for the success of these meetings. Now, this does not excuse us of doing what we can do, but we are not going to take onto our shoulders the responsibility of the success of these meetings. We're going to leave that to the Holy Spirit. And we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to have free work and to bring people to these meetings in its own mysterious ways that never got an invitation from any of us. You know what I mean? We're going to trust. We're going to do our best. I, we're going to, we've got several ideas of what we're going to try to do. But we're never going to assume that the success of these meetings is proportioned to our effort. It's going to be, we're going to admit that we can't do all that we need to do. And we're going to say, Lord, 
please make up for the difference. Oh, she says, those who have hitherto been almost destitute of faith in these meetings that followed 1888 have discerned its simplicity and have been enabled to lay hold of the promises of God. And so in the face of an absolute disaster that was just on the verge of crushing and killing our church, with humility and simplicity and opening up hearts and confession of sin, the church turned a corner, listen to this, in the last part of the 1880s into the early part of the 1990s, and the church grew worldwide, set the foundation for long-term growth in this denomination, went out to mission fields, went out around the world, great things happened. Out of a moment that could have sealed the doom of the church, because it showed how ugly and sinful we were, pretending not to be. We admitted our failures, admitted our weakness, fell upon our faces before the Lord, and the church just thrived. Now that's what we're hoping to have happen here. January, just a few other, more months later, in South Lancaster in Massachusetts, the Spirit of God broke forth, and this is what she said about that. These are just eyewitness reports. Both students and teachers have shared largely in the blessing of God. The deep movings of the Spirit of God have been felt upon almost every heart. These kind of changes are only wrought by God's Spirit. The general testimony was borne by those who attended the meeting that they had obtained an experience beyond anything and had known before. Now, God brings something out of nothing. Didn't this world start that way? I guess there's some debate about that too, right? Poor souls. Their hearts were filled with thanksgiving and praise to God. Sweet peace was in their souls. They loved everyone and felt that they could rest in the love of God. I have never, and Ellen White had been very close to the Lord. I mean daily in contact with God. And she said, I have never seen a revival work go forward with such thoroughness and yet remain so free from all undue excitement. There were no urgings or invitings. It was all the Holy Spirit's working, changing people's hearts. I bring this to you today because we are on, like you were saying, Dean, we are on the verge of maybe some very significant things in our world's history. And God's Holy Spirit is very likely, if we would be willing to ask for it, be willing to claim it, long for it with all of our soul to do something so powerful that it's going to overwhelm us in its effect upon our community. The honest in heart were ready to confess their sins and to bring forth fruit to God by repentance and restoration. As far as lay in their power, we seemed to breathe the very atmosphere of heaven. Angels were indeed hovering around. I've told you in the past when I was here pastoring in the last part of the 1970s before I moved to McKinleyville, I came back and we had a baptismal service and God's Holy Spirit just filled this room. Just filled this room. And you know whose, whose hearts were changed the most dramatically? Listen to this, the young people. They saw for the first time in absolutely decades, they saw God's presence at work and they responded joyfully came forward and wanted to be baptized. This was an amazing experience here. God's Holy Spirit right here. 
30-some years ago. The only thing we need for real success is what? The Holy Spirit. That's what brings victory over sin, conversion, freedom from addictions, families brought into oneness, the church coming alive, a new spirit in our midst. Now, let's hand out those papers. I've got something that I want you to not throw in the trash. Okay? I hope you have these kind of things that have refrigerators, you know. You have refrigerators at home? Does stuff go on the refrigerator? Well, this belongs on the refrigerator. And I'm handing it out to you, or these gentlemen are handing it out to you, because I want you to be praying every time you see this. There are basically two things on that that I want you to be calling your call your attention to. Um, first is the picture. Uh, do you recognize that picture? That's a building in our town. What's the name of that building? Town Hall. <laughs> well, two weeks ago our elders drove around town scouting for suitable places to hold our meetings and we had several ones in mind And each one that we we looked at had advantages, but they also had a bunch of disadvantages, too. They didn't have enough parking. You know, there was just a number of problems. Maybe there was too many conflicting things right in the neighborhood, you know, etc. So we had to consider all of that. And finally, someone suggested, let's go look at the city hall, town hall. And that's the town hall. And while we went there, we went inside, and it was open, and they were showing a display of this fancy woodwork that these, this group here in town that does that, do you remember that class? Fabulous woodwork that they were showing. And we walked around, and I remember Dean's expression. Have you ever seen Dean when he gets really joyful? His face kind of shines a little bit, and his face was shining. And he knew, and I knew, that we had found the place. The town hall. It can seat about as many as we need. It had adequate parking. It had restrooms too. Probably clean restrooms. You know. And, um, and it, it was a perfect location. How can you beat that? Yes. He did. Yeah, we lo- Jonathan has been scouring our, our area for a place. All of us came out of that meeting convinced that we had found the place. And so I talked to the city people after that. And you know what? It was occupied right after and right before. But the times that we needed, it was not occupied. So I said, can we have it? And she says, what are you holding there? What are you doing? I says, we're holding uh, lectures. And she says, all right. And so we're in the process of getting all of the applications done, but we're, we're assured that we have that building for the first week. Now, the plans for Elder Peffley is he wants to hold the first meetings, not in our church here, but in the community. It'd be easier for individuals to go there. And so the last, Monday, the last day in May, you'll see that on the chart there. You see that, the dates there, right underneath the top there? These are the dates for the meetings. And they're going to be starting. The first five meetings, I believe, are going to be there in that building. And then we're going to shift over here. Can you say thank you, Lord, for this? This is a good, I didn't hear a good enough response on that. This is pretty outstanding. And you know what? The price is just wonderful as well. You know, and what a location. No conflicts, nothing happening unless there's some kind of a ride at the ice cream store across the street. 
You know, nothing, nothing, this is perfect. Right on Main Street. It's just fantastic. Not hidden off in a side street. You know, we, I think we can hang a banner up there beforehand. We're going to make sure that that's a possibility. So, these are the things that are taking place. You also see that on the bottom of the page, I have in, inserted a quote. And I wanted you to know that a revival of true godliness among us is the greatest and most urgent of all our needs. To seek this should be our first work. And then as you read down in, through that book, Select the Messages, book one, here, is, here are the things that I find that are mentioned, and you know these are true biblically as well. Before we go into the evangelistic series, this church and every one of its members needs to do a personal work with God. Wrestling in our hearts with God in prayer. To pray more, to talk less. To search our own hearts, to put away our sins. To correct our evil tendencies, to remove every obstacle, united, persevering prayer, a deep humiliation of soul. Why are those things necessary? And this is the, this is the test whether you get a passing grade or not today. Why do we need those things? Ah, you got it. You got it. Those are the conditions upon the Holy Spirit having free access to do what it needs to do. If we know that we can't do this, and we know that God wants to do it, the way that the Holy Spirit can work are right there. And this should be hanging on your refrigerator or wherever, you, maybe in your mirror, that'd be why you've pretty up your face before the day. And to look at the building and pray for the town that God will inspire people that very day you're praying to come to these meetings. And that when you look down through that list, I, what is there, eight things there? Eight lines? I want you to think really serious about what you need to do among those eight things to make room for the Holy Spirit to really take over this entire program. So if we can't do it, maybe to get the Holy Spirit, these are the things that we need to do to make that happen. James chapter 4, the brother of Jesus, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, your sinners, and purify your hearts. This is what it says. Now, Chris is with us, and Ken is with us because of evangelistic meetings. Are you happy about that? Tammy, Tammy and Nathan have joined us by baptism in what, the last year, year and a half? Okay, all right. Yes, Ken. Oh, yes. Who was that lady? I knew that when you said that.
Yeah. 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 How many of you knew Audrey? Oh, beautiful. Uh, when I was past here, I, I would very frequently be at Audrey and Ed's house. And Ed always had a fantastic garden. Did you know Ed, her husband? Did Ken? You didn't know Ed? And Ed brought Audrey into the church. Uh, when they were married, he was a strong Adventist. He picked up smoking later on. And he couldn't get rid of it, and he was too conscientious. He was not going to actually, um, he felt like he needed to have victory over cigarettes before he would come back into the church. And his heart was absolutely bleeding in agony over that. Because he had tried everything he could to get rid of smoking, and he, was, he would fail each time. Everything he could. Now, those of you that know Ed will understand what I'm going to say next. I met with Ed out in his garden. And his heart was just breaking and his eyes were filled with tears. And I said to him just plainly, because we were close. Well, Audrey and Ed and Carol and I were very close. And I said to him, Ed, you probably are not going to win this on your own power. You just need to admit that you can't do it and put the whole responsibility on God. Not a cop-out, but just simply a frank admission that you've tried as hard as you can. You're going to have to admit absolute failure and say, God, you do it. So, I'm going to come to a story. I think I've told you this story. Did I tell you this story before? So I left. Fort Bragg, went to McKinleyville, came back for that baptism. And I was in the tank, probably with Tom Loop. Do you know Tom? Giant Tom? Boy, I spent a lot of time with Tom. <laughs> Just a lot of time with Tom. Tom needed a lot of time. <laughs> and Audrey was so wrapped up in the fact that Tom was being baptized. I still remember it. She was sitting, there was a chair like this one right here, sitting right there for the baptisms. And she didn't even know that her husband had packed a duffel bag and came, when he came to the meeting that night. She had no idea. He was determined to say, Lord, I can't do it. This is your problem to fix. She didn't know that her heart was going to be overwhelmed with joy that night. And after Tom's baptism, I asked, if there's anybody in the congregation that feel the call of God's spirit to come forward and give their hearts to Jesus Christ like a rocket right back behind where you're at right now. He stood up. He was resolute. Nobody was going to stand between him and this baptismal tank. Not cigarettes, nor anything. He marched down that aisle, came right up down here, and came in here. And when the children of... And she finally realized that her husband was going to be the next one baptized. She was fooling with a tape player or something like that. And, oh, what a moment that was to find out that God was doing this for her husband. She became the strong one in the family. He became the one that was weak because of the cigarettes. And now he was making a stand for Jesus. And when the young people of the church saw those kind of things happen, they came forward.
they recognized God's spirit. I don't remember how many. How many were baptized that night? 15? I'm not sure. 12? 15? There was a lot of people baptized that night. The other night after our board meeting, I, I left to go back over the road. <laughs> the road is, is fun, actually, simply because there's those beautiful, beautiful trees, and we don't get those over in the valley. So I was driving home. But before I left, I needed to fill my tank with gas, and I knew it was one place I wanted to go. I had been trying to make contact with David Prey. Do you remember David who was baptized at camp meeting? And he worked at a station down here. Which station is it? Uh, 76? And, and, and I had tried, and it had failed. And that night I pulled in, and there was just one person sitting on the curb, and I didn't know who it was. I got out of my car, and I stood up, and I put the gas nozzle in the tank, and I looked over, and it was David. He had lost well over 100 pounds. And he recognized me right away. And we had a great talk together, and he told me the terrible ordeals that he had come into his life since his baptism. One catastrophe after another. And David, Lord Lovin, was trying his very, very best to keep up and to solve all these things and fixing them. And he showed me his, his knuckles that he had been ramming into concrete walls to trying to fix the problems. <laughs> He's just angry, beaten up, bloodied. I'll get out. Financial catastrophes, divorce, issues with his child, custody of the child, all of that kind of stuff. Car, oh, car not working, that car is parked there. Oh, it's just one disaster after another. And I put my arms around him and we prayed together. David had forgotten that God is the one who solves problems. And he needs to rely on God. We try so hard to do it on our own. What we're going to do is bring to this community an invitation to trust God. Just to try God. Now look at yourselves. We're just almost nobody, aren't we? We're just ordinary people. And we're going to invite the community to experience a supernatural God. What a wonderful and exciting thing. Hmm. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity and his name is holy, I dwell in a high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite one. Isn't that amazing? This series in Fort Bragg, end of May, first part of June, this year, by no power of ours, can produce amazing results if we allow the Holy Spirit to have his power in our lives. Put this on your refrigerator, somewhere, your mirror, whatever it is. Think carefully about what our role is. Those, what is it, eight lines there? Different things, things that we need to do. Think about it. And we will become more like God. We will know God more. And God's Holy Spirit will work very powerfully in our midst. What happened 30 years ago in the sanctuary can happen again.
as people just simply determined to trust God. And things begin to happen. Is it a contract? Will you join me in this? The sheet? Will you do that? Several times a day, look at that. Every time you see it, pray. Pray for the people in the community. Pray for yourself. Pray that God will do what we can't do and pray that God will show us what we can do. And we'll go into a covenant and see what amazing things God can do for us. Lord, thank you for the sunshine, the beauty of this place we call our home. We ask your blessing upon us as we now think about these meetings coming up. We ask that you will help us to covenant with you so that your Holy Spirit can have such a greater portion of us than it has ever had before. And that we will empty and be filled. Empty and be filled every day. And let the Holy Spirit guide us and move us and move the community as well. I pray that your Spirit will just hover over this entire community. And more and more people will just feel drawn that you are drawing them for something. To make a decision to change their lives, to cling to hope, to reach out and claim hope. I pray that you will take care of those things that we cannot do. Bless our evangelists, bless us as we prepare in the months that we have before this meeting. And thank you for everyone that's here today. Thank you for your Sabbath. You promised rich blessings on this day to us. I pray that you will fulfill them in every way possible in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.